Welcome to I Am My Passion Project, a companion of my digital magazine, Badass Silver Streak. I'm Lorna Nickel. I'm an artist, writer, graphic designer, thinker, a renaissance woman, if you will. This podcast is a way for me to give a voice to women over 50, like myself, a platform to discuss sexism, health and wellness, redefining beauty, and healing from betrayal trauma. Without further ado, let's dig in together and figure out ways to resist societal expectations while reimagining a world where mature women are made visible and empowered to become their own passion projects. Let's do this. Leah Bear just began her 79th year and sees these late last years on earth as an adventure. She's dedicated to helping women and resisting patriarchy in all its forms. Leah is a writer, storyteller, actor, poet, parent, grandparent, and lover of life. Her motto is, my old age where Thanos and Eros meet is my beginning. Her favorite words are, je sens sans cesse, does that sound right? <laughs> and gynaluminescence. Her writing has been published in Voice Catcher, Unchaste Readers, Gleam, and Women's E-News. She's done storytelling and public speaking at Roar, Fierce Female Voices, Corporeal Writing, Book Lovers Burlesque, and for Planned Parenthood and the Northwest Coalition Against Domestic Violence. As part of her Old Age is an Adventure project, she has recently (laughs) taken a couple of voice lessons for the first time in 55 years. She dared to sing a song last week. (laughs) (laughs) Leah is currently working on her one woman show, The Shimmer of Our Lives, which will debut in the fall of 2023. That's true. Lovely, so welcome to the podcast, Leah. I'm so happy to have you here. I'm so excited about it. I know you have a lot of things that you want to talk about. So, so many things to and say. And I wish that we had, <laughs> you know, like a weekend together to chit-chat. We can do that someday. Yeah, that would be <laughs> fabulous. So you're a very vibrant person with many creative accomplishments under your belt. Who has been a main inspiration for you? Mm, it's a long list. It started with Simone de Beauvoir when I was... 12 or 13, and I started reading The Second Sex, and then I learned about Elan Sixou, a French feminist, and she's the one I learned the word jouissance from. Which I'm not familiar with. Well, I'll tell you about it. Okay. (laughs) The word means play, delight, joyfulness, pleasure almost, to pain, and orgasm. Okay. And, and creativity. Okay. So there's Elon Sixou, and then Lydia Yukovich's writing has mattered so much to me. And joining corporeal writing, these people who are just kind of breaking the boundaries and helping people who maybe could not afford college to create together and to get teaching and encouragement about writing. And uh, let's see. A lot of people. Renee Denfield, a a local Portland writer, and more recently a woman named Mary Satrakian, who wrote a book called Sing, Find Your True Voice, which took away some of the scary things about singing. Okay. That's my short list. (laughs) 
<laughs> but it's pretty extensive. I could you go as a journalist. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have a favorite form of artistic expression? Uh, right now, it's writing and acting. Okay. Because I. Oh, and I forgot to mention Beth Boringstein Dunnington, with whom I've been acting for three years and writing monologues, performing the monologues and being in shows on Zoom. And I did acting when I was a kid and I'm loving being back in that world again, just thrilled to be back. And, and dancing, though I have a bad knee right now, so it has to just be belly dancing. Pirouettes are out for now. And I like painting and living. Living's an art. Living is an art. Yeah, there's definitely an art to living. I've actually, I think I've said that or listed that as yeah. a thing on my Instagram account, that living is yeah. an art. Yeah. And learning how to be fully human, which is an ongoing process. Mm -hmm. I think that's an art too. Do you feel like you've lived through several versions of yourself? I do. Because you are 79, I, 79. Here's the way I do age. Technically, on March 9th, I turned 78, which just means that I've been alive for 78 okay. years. But I'm already in my third month of my 79th year. So I count it as my 79th year. Okay. Anyway, yes, I am. What was the question? <laughs> Do you feel like you've lived at this age several oh, versions yeah. of yourself? Yes, I, I just had an essay. I got the acceptance letter yesterday, an essay published in Women's E-News, and I'm just, I was so thrilled I started crying. In it, I write about my 22-year-old self and the things I didn't know then, and how, how afraid I was then, and I'd come from a childhood of sexual abuse, and I had been raped, and there was violence and poverty, and I was so unsure of myself as, at 22, mm -hmm. and I still had this fire with me, in me, this yearning to be more, but so much of my life was constrained by fear. Mm -hmm. And that, that's just two versions, the version of me now and the version of me then. And I think it's been like a, I don't know, it's been like a, a roller coaster ride or, or a, a braided essay where you start with one subject and then you add another one and then go back to the first subject. Mm. Okay. And my life, I think many lives are like that where you keep, maybe you go back to what you did before, even if it was dysfunctional because it's familiar, mm -hmm. and then you learn something and you move forward, and you're a different person, but then you go back to another thing, and more and more you kind of braid yourself into a new person. But yes, multiple versions of myself. And I think we keep, one of the things Lydia Yudinovich talks about is how we're constantly reinventing ourselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And daring new things. Though I think some people are afraid to dare anything. And so they find right. one version and they stay there. Yeah. For me, what I've been doing as I've been getting older is looking back to my childhood self. Me too. And the little Lorna and yeah. thinking about what she would have wanted for me and, and, oh, and where I am right now. And if, Little Lorna could look at me right now and yeah. just kind of be proud of where oh, I am yes. and all of the things, the struggles that she went through and to see what it, what it's like on the other side, that it's possible to get here. Mm -hmm. 
And I actually started thinking about that last weekend when I went for a really long run. It was an, an eight-mile run with my husband. For some reason, in the middle of runs, I always have this moment in time where, because I'm a betrayed partner, I end up like physical step activities make me emotional. And one of them is running. And I always just go to this kind of emotional place when I'm using my body in that way. It's kind of like meditative or transcendent or something where things just kind of bubble up. And that was just one of the things I started thinking about in the middle of my run was what would, you know, the, yes. the little me think about where I am in life right now? And I started getting kind of teary and stuff. And then I kind of pushed it back down because it's challenging to to run break, and cry. Break out running. <laughs> yeah, break out crying in the middle of a run. It, it is. Yeah. I've, I've done that too. Mm-hmm. I used to run some marathons and that happens to me too. We carry so much history in our bodies. Mm-hmm. And it's so wonderful to, to do any physical exercise because I think it, it it reconnects us to our to our history. Yeah. It allows us to feel deeply in a way that everyday life doesn't always allow us to do. And and yes, I think that's a wonderful exercise in writing too, to write to yourself, your your younger self. Mm. And the piece that that I will have published. I don't don't yet know the publication date, but I wrote a few days ago. Uh, I go into my child self and then my 22-year-old self. It's such a wonderful thing to connect with your younger you. <laughs> I did a performance a while back during the protests over the death of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor. And in the piece that I wrote, I was writing about being a girl, the girl I was in whatever year it was, 1968 at Portland State University, when we were fighting for what we then called African-American studies in the college, Mm -hmm. and they wouldn't let it happen. The dean wouldn't let it happen. So in the piece that I wrote and performed, it's the older me talking to the younger me, telling me that it's it's going to be okay. Mm. Regimes will still happen, and the history may keep repeating itself, but also we will get stronger. And... It was a wonderful exercise. It was great fun to do. But I yeah. cried too while doing yeah. it. And then I had to go for walks around the neighborhood mm. crying and wearing my sunglasses so people wouldn't wonder why I was going, yes. oh. Yeah, I've, <laughs> I've been that. I've also taken a dance class when I was at Cornish, a modern dance class, where in the middle of class I just broke into tears. I don't even remember what it was. I completely really, understand. But it was just like using your body in such a way where you're. it's emotional, just using your body and you hold things in different places in your body. And so when you're moving, it's stuff gets released. And some of the stuff is mental stuff, mental pain and anguish and, uh, you know, different parts of you hold different things. So when you're traumatized by certain things in certain places, they just, they stay there unless you address them. What I found with, therapy work for my betrayal trauma is that a lot of it is mental mm-hmm. lots of talk therapy and not really dealing with the body i agree which would be so much more helpful because we do store so many things in our bodies but it's really hard to find that kind of it care is. jen pastelov is a, a writer and she teaches yoga and uh, many years ago she 
taught a yoga writing class with Lydia Yuknovich, and, and people were doing these stretches and also crying while mm. doing them, and then mm. they wrote pieces, and then went, and then, for some people it would sound horrible, you know, yeah. write, stretch, and cry, and then repeat, <laughs> repeat, repeat. It doesn't sound appealing to a lot of people, but it was, it was wonderful to do. Lydia talks so much about how, that's why it's called corporeal writing, we store in our bodies how our stories are in our bodies and how so much of life keeps us from living in our bodies. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and I was thinking today about the things that we do naturally as little kids. Little kids, we they don't worry whether or not they can do a padasha or a, or a pirouette. They just dance and they fall down, mm-hmm. they get up and they dance. Mm-hmm. They don't worry about, oh, am I flat, am I sharp in that song? They just sing. But if we go dancing down the street alone <laughs> or singing in the grocery <laughs> store, unless we have somebody with us and then, oh, they're not crazy. It's okay. We're, we're frowned upon. I know. So when do you think that is where it starts to be not okay mm. to be childlike? Oh. As, I mean, as a woman. Let's just talk about as a woman. Well. Rebecca Solnit's book, I think it's called Recollections of Myself, and she talks about adolescence and how at that moment we become, people begin to perceive us sexually, you know, don't move like that or don't sit like that or cover that up, and we start closing in. And then if we get messages about, as I did in in high school, where, oh, and I'm really old, so this was a really long time ago. But we, we couldn't wear spaghetti strap dresses okay. because, I don't know, it would incite the boys to something mm-hmm. or other, and that was our responsibility. Showing off your shoulders. Yeah. Or... And we get so many messages like that right about adolescence. And we keep learning to close ourselves in and get lessons about what is and isn't appropriate. And it keeps on going until we get, unless we say, fuck that. <laughs> and then we get older and then people say, oh, you know, should you really dress like that at your age? Or you don't want people to think you're trying to look young or, well, you probably shouldn't move that way at your age. Mm-hmm. So it, I think that's when it really starts, that shutting us down. And then the only time we're kind of allowed to be our sort of ourselves is, well, if you're dating a guy, you know, if you're, I don't know, getting married or something, then maybe it's kind of okay, but then no. To be kind of yourself as far as yeah. letting your child letting your out, child, your child out. out. Letting your inner child out, hmm. which reminds me there was a poem I should have written down that I wanted to read, but which we might not get to, written by someone else. But there's a section in the poem where the person is talking about connecting with their pigtailed child, their their inner inner child. Mm-hmm. And I think I see a lot of women doing that right now. A lot of older women saying, you know, I'm going to dress the way I want mm-hmm. and I'm going to take dance lessons now, however I'm built or I'm going to, going to write a play or whatever. Uh, oh, and there's this term that I just learned, the villain era. Oh, I don't know what that I didn't is. know that until yesterday. A woman on TikTok talked about it. And it's when women at whatever age start saying, you know, I'm just going to be myself and I'm not necessarily going to play nice anymore. I'm not going to meet society's constraints about what I should be. 
I don't think necessarily I want to be married or I want to have children or I want to write this play before I do whatever else. And it's called the villain era where women are saying, I don't need to take care of So we become villains in that sense? Oh, what is the name of that? Euphoria. There's a character in Euphoria where she's basically standing up for herself and somebody is saying, you know, kind of as women, we're supposed to not be selfish. And then she said, well, you know, if that's being selfish, then call me a fucking villain. I don't care. Oh, call me a villain. So that's, it's kind of a humorous term. The kind of standing up for yourself, being a woman who is unafraid to be herself and is living unashamedly and doing some things for herself instead of putting everyone else before her could put her into the villain era or the villain age, uh-huh. which I think is kind of funny. I mean, the yeah. society, if yeah. you want to say I'm bad for, you know, at my age, for instance, dressing like this, you know, <laughs> okay. So that I just love the term. Yeah. And doing the things that men have been doing for centuries. When men wrote novels, they wrote their novels. Meeting your full creative potential in every way you can, or almost. When women try to do that, we're seen as not nice mm-hmm. yeah so yeah anyway i love the term i think because you know where that phrase comes from it means something a little different to you but being on the outside and not knowing where it comes from i don't really like the way that sounds true i don't want to be called a villain because of the way that i'm dressing now or if i want to dress sexy or i agree i agree with that or i want i think it's kind of Tongue in cheek. Like if you're yeah, yeah, yeah. if you're going to call me that, then fine. Uh huh. Yeah. It, it's. I was in a show called The Crone Chronicles, and it was about reclaiming the word crone. Uh huh. Yeah. I think there's a lot of reclaiming. Yeah. Oh, it's exciting. Days. Yeah. We really live in exciting times. Yeah. Yeah, and also terrifying times. And also terrifying times. <laughs> I'm tech- not ignoring that part. Yeah. Oh, no. Technology and all of the porn and. And addictions that are out there oh, with yeah. technology and and climate change and climate change all of the things yeah and the move to control women's bodies more and more mm-hmm. all that is mm-hmm. all that is terrifying and at the same time some I, things are more freeing here we are you and I I probably at the vastly different ages doing a pod two women doing a podcast <laughs> when I was growing up. Nothing like that ever would have happened. Uh-huh. And there wouldn't have been a female vice president. And I see more and more organizations encouraging older women to just fully be themselves. In some ways, I would call it a renaissance, except that it's never happened before. Right. Which I think is one of the reasons that, that very conservative governments are I'm trying not to put it in much political terms. You know, are trying to do whatever you want to do. Well, thank you. I'm trying. I'm trying to be a little bit nice. Is are trying to control us even more because things are getting out of hand for them. Right. The patriarchy. Exactly. Republicans that are trying to control our bodies and exactly. Yeah. And this surge of women saying, and it's not saying that. We will not be silenced, for instance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Vice President Kamala Harris saying before she was vice president, I am speaking, women refusing to be silenced. Mm-hmm. 
and it makes me so happy to have lived long enough to see this. Yeah, and younger people like Ocasio Cortez, really in politics. Yes. Just yeah, saying no. Exactly. Putting their foot down and yeah, trying to make a change. And these are the kinds of women, and you and I are the kinds of women who, in earlier times, would have been labeled witches. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, burned at the stake. <laughs> which reminds me that Sylvia Federici's book, Caliban and the Witch, is a brilliant book. Is it a fiction? No. Or nonfiction? It's his history okay. in, in Europe. I'm a fiction or a nonfiction person. I'm Oh, it's, it's non-fiction. Yeah. That's what I meant to say. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I just get so exuberant about everything. I know. I know we have only so much time, so I try to say everything all at once. I know that you're such an avid reader, too, and I'm just, I'm not. In the past, I've been more of like a magazine newspaper reader and non-fiction, like history of medicine, that kind of stuff. And then I started reading Invisible Women, which I'm super fascinated by right now, which is a book about data collection and how it's been done by men and for men uh -huh. and by companies where they don't care about women. And so and then based on that data, things have been designed for men like city yeah. structures, like wow. cars, like the education system, like healthcare. Yeah. It, and how just extensive it is in our world and most of us don't even know about it and think that well if there's if it's there's research behind it there must be a reason but not thinking about who paid for the research for particular things and mm -hmm. who designed a thing and who was it really made for is it designed for a six foot tall man with broad shoulders sitting in a car, you know, I'm talking about like seat belts, or is it designed for a five foot two woman uh -huh. that's going to be sitting there and the strap is going to be coming and cutting into her neck because she's just not a man, not that tall. There, there's another evidence of patriarchy, mm -hmm. invisible patriarchy. Invisible patriarchy. Yeah, it's everywhere. So... What should we, as women, be doing more of, and what should we be, be doing less of as we mature? More of and less of. Yes. <laughs> One thing that comes to mind as an older woman is less paying attention to people who say, you have that wrinkly skin, so you should cover it up, or at your age, you shouldn't be doing this. Just ignoring all of that and... Maybe even renaming things if you feel, not feeling bad that you have wrinkled skin. And if you don't like the word, call it texture. Yes. Do we get mad at a tree? Yes. When it's gone from smooth to having a different texture? Do we tell it it should be ashamed of itself and should cover itself up? <laughs> no. So why should we do that to ourselves? So that's one thing that I think of as less of. And more of delighting, absolutely delighting in our bodies in every single way. And more dancing and singing and playing and whatever things that we love to do. Also, never giving up and resistance against patriarchy. Never, never feeling, it's not that I want us to be afraid, but I want us to stay connected. Uh, Laurie Sokol's Women's E-News is all about that. Make sure that we read newspapers like that and get new ideas about that and talk to younger people about that and make sure that we encourage younger people to 
vote and not give up the idea, not, not feel like, oh my God, everything's such a disaster, why should I vote? And there are some younger people who feel mm-hmm. like that way. Mm-hmm. So spend time around them and encourage them to see what they can do and how important their presence on earth is. There's so much to say. I know. And I have grandkids and I talk to them about these things. Oh, that's great. Yeah. And, and, they, and to their friends. And then a lot of my friends are younger too. Actually, I don't have very many friends who are doing my age who are doing what I'm doing. Yes, I do think that you are a special gem in that sense. Thank you. <laughs> I'm just so grateful to be alive and healthy. It seems kind of remarkable. Yeah, yeah, it's great. And I feel like I feel like it's your spirit. There's something inside you that's allowing you to Thank you. age amazingly, I guess you'd say. Pilates helps, too. Pilates helps, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and going, I like going to the gym, and for years I rode horses, and mm-hmm. it's just that now I can't own a horse and ride a horse and take acting lessons and take a few more singing lessons and uh, do all that other stuff. I mean, I can't do all of it at the same time. And that's yes. the, the sad thing about, you know, sad, but the, the, the thing about being this old is I'm closer to 80 than I am to any other age, and I'm closer to being dead than I ever have been before in my life. And so I've got to figure out what can I do and what span, how much good can I do? What small thing can I do to make the world a better, a better place? And I think that kind of thinking is keeps us connected to life, keeps, keeps our fire burning. <laughs> I was thinking about the word precarity, and I was thinking that the point of this particular sociopathic, patriarchal capitalism is to keep us afraid, is Mm -hmm. to keep us without money, to make sure that we live in a state of precarity. Fiscal, emotional, psychological, and if you're if you've got kids and you know that you might, if you if you lose your job. Any number of things. Mm-hmm. You lose the health insurance. It, you could wind up homeless. So, so many of us are barely breathing. Isn't that a line, a Mary Oliver line about, are you breathing just a little and calling it a life? Oh, I don't know. That's good, it's though. Mary Oliver. Yeah. And many of us are breathing just a little and calling it a life because we feel we don't have any choice. And I keep thinking about, Choice within limits. I'm limited now that I'm older. I can't drive at night anymore uh-huh. easily. The left knee need another knee replacement. On that, I mean, on that knee. But within our limits, be they economic or whatever, we can still do so much, and we can help one another to give, give support to one another, and to help others and ourselves to breathe. Because much of the time, we're not breathing. Mm-hmm. Which takes me back to singing, which takes me yeah. back to horseback riding. Well, and it's that's like a meditation thing, too. Exactly. Focusing on your body and your breath. Yes. But I think that my, you know, I'm thinking about family and origin and stuff like that. I was thinking about my mom, who we talked about this when we met for, yeah. for tea, coming from a place of poverty. And my mom thinking that she, or she actually tried to get out of poverty by going back to school to be a nurse's aide and it just didn't work out for her because she had a bad back. Um, I think it was really hard for her and I feel like she kind of gave up on 
trying to achieve things because she was talented too. She did acting when she was little and in high school and stuff too. And I talked about how I was was a thespian in high school. So she did acting. She did, she did like a little bit of singing and she was an artist for many, many years, just, you know, doing Mm -hmm. like side hustles of art projects and also some sewing. So she was very, she was talented and she never really, None of that took off for her because, again, I, I mean, for her, I think it had to do with privilege and lack of privilege, like lack of funding and also lack of support, too, if you don't oh, yeah. have support from family and community. Exactly. You're not, it's really hard to yes. lift yourself up out of difficult situations exactly. like that. My mother had all those issues, too, and she had acted and danced and sung in, in chorus lines in uh-huh. Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers movies. And she, she had talent, but eventually she completely fell apart. And hmm. my father sent her to an institution for a while, and, and she got out. And she had, I, I was thinking about today, about you and I being here, and thinking how different her life might have been if she had the kind of support I do. Mm-hmm. She had opportunities like this. Mm-hmm. If she had the kinds of friends that I have, women are talking about things that they never talked about before. Anyway, in my lifetime, she had no support. Mm-hmm. She had no sisterhood. She was alone, also with an abusive husband. Right. There was no way. And you know, domestic. I, I watched your YouTube video oh. just this morning. Which one was that? You're talking about your childhood with your mom and oh. the abuse there. Oh, yeah. That was a long time ago, the one in the leopard print like, dress. Yeah, leopard print. It yeah. was like 2018 or something. Yeah. That I I was not, like, emotionally prepared oh, at that I'm moment sorry. in time to watch that. I basically, I was, so I had a therapy session today, too, afterwards. And I, <laughs> I was talking to her about it. I was like, so, yeah, I went into the kitchen. I just, like, grabbed some, you know, my muesli and some coffee and I sat down and I thought oh I should probably watch something of yours since I don't I haven't seen any of the your theatrical work or po- poetry readings or anything so I just clicked found something on YouTube and I tuned oh. in and then the story came on about you and your mother and the abuse that your mother went through and then the abuse that you went through and I was I mean, I think I just sat there with my mouth agape for a really long time. And then, like, the tears came, and I was like, wow, wow. So I had to take a moment to kind of collect myself because I was triggered just hearing your story and the horrible stuff that you had to go through. And And then I had to kind of change my thinking about you know knowing that I was going to interview you later in the day because that just put me in such a dark headspace and that wasn't what I wanted to talk about with you okay I wanted to talk about how amazing you are oh thank you and how far you have come and talk about how you are inspiring to me thank you and Hoping that you can inspire others. Thank you. Well, 
you asked what women can do, and that was my first story. I had never done storytelling before. I had done acting, and now I could get a little teary, and a girl came up to me afterward, a young girl who also was taking acting lessons, and she was doing a show later, and she said, she hugged me afterward, and then she said, I was, that was just what I needed to hear. And then we both cried. Mm -hmm. So women and men and trans, many people are telling the stories that haven't been told before, mm -hmm. and that's one of the ways that we all, that, that we help one another. And so many of us have been silenced for so long. And while it can be hard to hear stories like this, we can also look at people who have survived and think, oh, okay. All right, and they understand how I feel. Mm -hmm. I mean, somebody understands. Somebody's been through something like that, and I think that's such a powerful thing. Theater does that for so many of us. Oh, I could go on about theater, which reminds me. There's a show called Myra's Story, and it's at Cora Theater, and it begins this Friday. And it's about a woman who's Irish. It's about homelessness and alcoholism and survival. And mm -hmm. Renee Denfield is a dramaturge for this, and Gemma Whalen is a director. Anyway, we're talking about things that I think we haven't talked about before, and so many plays before this were written by men, mm -hmm. and women are writing things, and we're telling the stories that haven't yeah. been heard before, and I really think that helps the world. Yeah, and it helps validate other women who have been in the same position when yes. they get to hear yes. that, oh, I'm not alone. Yes, absolutely. Yes, yes. yes. Yep then we can all work together to raise each other up and give each other a voice. Which brings me back to, I would call this a renaissance, except that it's never happened before. So <laughs> yeah. we'll call it, what do you call it? Only in the shadows, I guess. Yeah. And, and, and all those little yeah. movements before led us to this moment. Do we have power to change the world for future women? Do you feel like you have power? Together, we absolutely do. We do have the power. We do. And by working together, we get more power. It's very exciting what we're doing. And there are so many political movements that women are spearheading. Yes. And I can't do it all by myself, and neither can you. But together, we can do a lot, a hell of a lot. Yeah. I think it, the trick is to stay focused and not be overwhelmed by all of the shit that's going wrong. Yes, indeed. which I was during because it's really easy to do. Oh, it's really, during it's like the world is burning. Yes, and yes, yeah, women are being are being continuing to be oppressed across the world, but also yes, even more so by Republicans and uh, yeah, conservatives. Yeah. Well, that's during the Trump when Trump. I like to say when Trump was squatting in the White House. <laughs> yeah. when he was doing that, I was rather mad. You know, just honestly. No. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know why either. Were you, were you like me, just sitting back, going, "What the fuck? That's how it. did he even? What? I'm sorry. How did that even happen? I blinked, and there was like a clown in the well, presidency. That was the mistake I think many of us made. Not that you made that mistake, but we. Several people said, "Oh, he'll never win. Oh, he's kind yeah, of funny." Yeah. We people dismissed Hitler too. I'm not saying he, he's. Right as smart as Hitler, but many of us dismissed him. Yes. And because he was so ridiculous. Because we thought there's no way. And there is no way. Right. And he I, ridiculous. I thought, I didn't know how many women would vote for him. That I, was the thing yes. that really yeah. astonished and, me. And 
with like how racist he is, how many yeah, huh? yeah. minorities w- would vote for him too. Huh? Like I oh, was just yeah. amazed. But just amazed. As soon as he came down the gold elevator to announce his bid for president, I knew you know, like Cassandra in the in the myth, but she kept saying things, and nobody believes her when she prophesizes war. And mm, okay. um, and I kind of felt like that. I would talk to people about Trump, what he would do, what would happen to America, and people would say, "Oh well, you know, he, there are people who can control him, people who can contain him. Roe v. Wade will never get turned over. You know, it's been around for. It's not going to be that bad." And I kept saying, "Yes, it will. Yes, it will." And then. And people like me, men and women, and I know there are more genders than men and women, but it's faster to just mm-hmm. say men and women, and with childhoods like mine, had grown up with Hitler as a father, mm. with Trump as a father, with Mussolini as a father. What I mean by that is fathers like with father. those traits. Fathers uh, right. with those tyrannical, cruel, mm-hmm. mad, sociopathic traits. Yep. We had lived it, mm-hmm. and we knew that America was going to live it if Trump got in office. And then I kept watching things get worse and worse, as many of us did. But maybe for a lot of Americans who always said, this is never going to happen, maybe when they saw what happened on January 6th, they went, oh, well, maybe I better take this more seriously. So I do think that happened for a lot of people. Yeah, that's I and again, you know, I can't even believe that he's running for president again. And I, I and I'm planning on leaving the country. So <laughs> you are planning on leaving the country? Okay. Yeah, because, because I'm just done oh, yeah. with the US. I'm I just understand done that. with the messed up politics here. I mean, not that every every other place is perfect and oh, I smells like you. roses or whatever, yeah. but I at least know that abortion is legal in Portugal. I figure at my age, I'm going to stay here and do what I can to, yeah. you know, pr- protect Try girls and, and do everything. Because I don't know how long I'll be here, I know. but I could yeah. completely understand wanting yes. to leave. But if I were a bit younger, I might do yeah. that. Read more of Re- Rebecca Solon, one of the books she just recently published. It's it's called It's Not Too Late. Uh huh. It's brand new release from Rebecca Solnit, series of essays, nonfiction. And it's about climate change and global warming and what's happening in other parts of the world and what we can do and the difference between hope and despair and how they how they can even live alongside of one another mm-hmm. even recognize mm-hmm. what is there to, to despair and still how keep hope alive. Know? And I like to think of hope not as the bird, but as a dragon. Oh, well, I was just going to read something about hope. Oh, 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 yeah. Sorry, so say, yes. So Sylvia Plath wrote, Ah. Hope is the thing with feathers that perches in the soul and sings the tunes without the words and never stops at all. Can you talk to me about hope? (laughs) That was a question I had. You know why I'm laughing? Wow. Well, there you go. I think I imagine hope as this dragon with textured skin, this dragon who's been singed by the flames <laughs> and still has strength. And I don't know. The, the fragile bird is, isn't with my build and my voice. I can't be a fragile bird, even if I wanted to be one. <laughs> you know, there's that. But also, it's, it can be a powerful thing. And one of the ways that tyrants win 
is when we give up hope. And that's mm-hmm. what they want us to do. They want to, and this isn't like, oh, you know, I'm not being fantastic about this. Or It's just that tyrants want, what is it in Dante's Inferno? Abandon hope, all ye who enter mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. But hope is something that we keep alive by t- having talks like this, writing plays, writing books, acting in plays that are about social justice, working for causes that, you know, working for causes that don't just have to do with being white mm-hmm. and working alongside of our being brothers and sisters who active, are active, yes, being an activist, yes. whatever and it's capacity action. you And when can. you have action, you, you don't get hopeless. Mm-hmm. And I think of it as hope as a fiery thing. Hope is a fiery thing. The, hope is a fiery, fiery thing. Dragon. Yeah. <laughs> so I know that you have a one-woman show coming up. Yes. Do you want to talk about that and plug any other things that you have going on? Any other um, writings? Or? I'm doing another another show with on Zoom, and this this one is coming up, and I. I already forgot what date, but it's later this month, and I'll give that information okay. to you later. But it's ghost stories. That's fun. Uh, it is fun. Uh, and it's eight other women have like eight to ten minute monologues about ghost stories, and some of them are funny, and some of them are real, and metaphorical ghosts, and historical ancestral ghosts. And uh, my story has to do with uh, my father doing spiritualism, which is a short version of the story. But anyway, it's a really good show. It's okay. Very good. Okay. That's coming up. And is that something that is on the, Zoom? And I can invite okay. you and can other people come um, to I have or? to invite people to do it. Okay. But I'll definitely will invite you. Okay. And let's see. And the show, my one woman show, will debut on Zoom in in the fall. But then after that, I'm getting it on a stage, and I'm I'm going to talk to various people who own small theaters and say about getting it on a, on a okay, stage. Okay, so here in Portland, year. Oregon? Absolutely. Okay. And it's The Shimmer of Other Lives is about what's happening here, right here. When you and I are talking to one another in this kind of conversation, there's a shimmering happening between us. Our bodies are lighting up with delight <laughs> and our, our, our neurons are firing. So it's emotional connection. It's what happens when you're in, in a theater and someone's on the stage and they do something or say something and you have this moment of, oh, and it's a play, but you know why they did that thing. And then you could walk out into the night or day or whether you went to a matinee or whatever and you you have this new knowledge that will never leave you that's a shiver riding horses you learn to see the world from the point of view of the horse your bodies are connected your bodies are one and for those of us who are sexually abused over any period of time childhood or adulthood we know that disconnection with the body and that's shiver so all of these things to me are a way of living life most fully that mm-hmm. shimmer mm-hmm. that's a short version yes i'm excited about life i know you are <laughs> and that's what i love about you. you it's very inspirational for me because i feel like as a woman who's over 50 now that i'm on the other side of the of the fence looking out at the years you know nobody ever knows how much time we have that's left true. that's true but i'm not going to be sitting around waiting for godot <laughs> 
That is true. I have things to do. That's how I feel. Like I just have a lot of things that I need to accomplish. And so like you, I feel like I need to prioritize those things. Mm -hmm. But I I can imagine that even at the end of my days, I will still have a list of things that I want to, like David Bowie. Oh, yeah. He's like still planning on making his next album and doing all these things. And then you're just gone. And He's doing them somewhere else in the spirit realm. Probably still is. You're right. (laughs) And Lance Olson just wrote a book called Always Crashing Cars. It's about exactly that, about Bowie and his reinvention and how he Uh continued to create. Yes. He's a person who did that, who kept recreating himself. Yes. Yes. And you can just do that until the end of days. It's true. You just give yourself permission to do that. I've decided I can't die. I've got too many books to read. So when we met, again, we had tea together and we talked about theater and we talked about music and dancing and stuff. And for some reason, I don't, we connected on this song. Yes. From Camelot. Yes. I watched the movie and had, I actually have the soundtrack as a record, but I didn't remember the key that it was in. I was familiar with it from the Blondie album, Auto American. And I was telling you that this song, this was the first album that I ever bought with my own money. And when I was a kid, I used to go to sleep listening to the album. And this was the last song. And I didn't know that it was actually from Camelot. I just thought it was a Blondie song. So Deborah Harry sings it and she does it almost an octave lower, which is helpful for us. But I wanted us to try and sing it together. And we just, we practiced one time before we yeah, started recording. So then. let's, let's give it a go. Here we go. Far from day, far from night, out of time, out of sight, in between earth and sea, we shall fly, follow me. Dry the rain, warm the snow, where the winds never go. Follow me, follow me, follow me. To a cave by a sapphire shore, where we'll walk through an emerald door. And for thousands of breathless evermore's my life. You shall be only you, only I. Well, farewell, well, goodbye to our home neath the sea. We shall die. Follow me, follow me, follow me, follow me, follow me. Thank you for listening to this episode of I Am My Passion Project. New episodes drop every Friday. If you enjoyed this content, please consider sharing with a friend or two or more, or leaving a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Until next time, I hope you're able to move through your week, speaking your own truth and embracing your badass self. I am my passion project.